0: It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home.
1: This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily... Smartfood popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. SmartFood. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com.
0: Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cuckoo writers, and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject and do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. This week I'm delighted to welcome Ewan Lu to the podcast. Ewan is a photographer, filmmaker, writer and author of two books, My Vietnamese Kitchen and Vietnamese simple Vietnamese food to cook at home. Welcome in. Hello. Now today you're going to share a bit of your expertise and tell us 10 things you need to know about Vietnamese food and cooking. But first of all, I thought for our listeners, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and your food journey and how you came to be doing what you're doing today?
1: So I didn't intend to get into food at all. Um, At art college, I was studying film and video and wanted to become a filmmaker and write scripts and um, basically edit films and just make films. But um, things didn't go that way. And um, I decided to open a shop in Covent Garden. And um, so it was like, um, imagine Joy or Urban Outfitters before they ever opened. Um, I was like the original one, like the original Oliver bonus. <laughs> Um But then after the uh, financial crash, it was really difficult to maintain. Um, and then at the time, I was really enjoying learning about Vietnamese food because I wasn't living with my mom and I just really missed eating her food. So I decided to teach myself how to make, you know, all my favorite dishes and then called her up and... Asked her around to help me cook things, and then I just um, started to have dinner parties every weekend and have loads of people around just so that I can experiment with cooking. And then I started to blog about it. And at the time, Twitter was exploding, so then I just joined that food um, food blogger scene yeah. and. Um, opened up my house my two-bedroom work was one bedroom flat um to like 30 people every Friday and Saturday um for dinner so it, it was like I was one of the first people to do the supper clubs um every week you know the menu would change and uh I would just cook whatever I wanted to cook and people would just come and eat what I was cooking and it just went on and on and on um, and I did it for about 11 years until the pandemic and during that time I wrote my first book and um, you know saw myself through food styling other people's books and commercials and adverts and films uh, and then I thought hang on I you know I've always wanted to be a photographer. I did photography and film at school so then I decided to not do food styling anymore but do photography and uh, but still write and talk about Vietnamese food and during the pandemic I wrote my second book Vietnamese which was published last uh no not last year yeah last year in May amazing
0: so yeah, yeah, here today and that it's such a beautiful book as well thank um, you we'll chat about that whilst we're, we're going through your points but um you're, so you're you're cooking the, the the food of your heritage. I think you moved from Vietnam when you were five. Is that right? Yes.
1: So, so we come- we came as um, refugees um, from Vietnam. Um, you know, because uh, everybody tried to escape the country because it, of the um, uh, first of all because of the war, and then when the war ended, um, a lot of people didn't want to live under the communist regime. So um, we escaped and were banished from. The country Um, my father was rescued
0: by um, the
1: British and um, so we came to the UK. Amazing
0: and you've got all of your mums there's a lot of stories weaved into the um, into the book you know referencing your mum and your gran and kind of like you know the food history and how you learned things through them Um, let's talk about the first thing that you said is really important which is fish sauce Um, And you say it's the staple essential ingredient. Tell us about the importance of it. Fish sauce is used instead
1: of salt um, in all the cooking. And it's, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there in in almost all the cooking. Um, And then it's also had as a dressing on the side as well. So it's really, really important. And uh, the only time people don't use fish sauce is if they're vegetarian. And um, because of the religion... People are vegetarian like quite a lot during the month and and therefore that's the only time people don't use fish sauce. So otherwise it is with everything and it's made to to have lots of flavours so it can be sweet and sour. And, and, you know, as a dipping sauce, it's really important to have all your balance right there because Mm. it flavours everything. Because the cooking is so simple, that fish sauce dressing is what makes it delicious Mm. but the the actual fish sauce itself um you use in cooking for the umami and the salty flavors Mm. um and it's um farmed and cultivated throughout vietnam because it's a coastal country um there's so much fishing and um all the anchovies are fermented around the seaside villages and um that's where it's made. Yeah. And a lot of people um, don't realise that there's lots of grades of fish sauce. Mm. Um, because in the UK, you can you mainly get one or two brands and they are actually not um, a high premium um, grade. So they smell a little bit more and mm. therefore your house will, when you using fish sauce, um, the ones that are low grade, then it's extra smelly. Whereas if you use a, a premium and higher grade fish sauce, mm. then um, the smell is is there, but it's less. Yeah. But the flavours are so much more complex and sweeter, and and there's a lot of umami. Whereas the um, lower grade versions are just a little bit salty and stinky.
0: That's it. That's a really great tip. Would you suggest that people would go to kind of a a Southeast Asian supermarket and and just ask for like a decent you
1: know yeah book. absolutely so if you're ever passing um a vietnamese store or an asian one um you know try and 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 Get buy a good a fish sauce yeah. it's it's in the price so the the more expensive it is the nicer it is am i allowed to mention any brands
0: yeah please do
1: um so what i use is uh three crabs okay um, that one is the nicest one that I found in the UK. But um, if you want to splash out, you can get Red Boat on Amazon. It is £25 pounds wow. for a tiny bottle, but it's um, apparently amazing. And, and that's what everybody uses in the US. Um, that, um, But it's not really sold here. So here, the best one is three crabs.
0: And talking about salty and umami your second point is it's all about in Vietnamese cooking it's all about the balance of sweet sour salty umami tell us about that so the best cooks are the ones who
1: can balance these flavors really well and I consider my mom to be like one of those people she she just knows like if this is needs a little bit more lime or it needs a little bit more sweet or sour or salty and so that's a really um, special technique that you just have but that's just by experience and and by tasting and um, adjusting your sources so everything will vary because sometimes you know you you might not you you have a fish sauce that is too salty yeah. um, so you'll have to add more sugar or you get a lime that is extra sour this week but or a lemon that you know isn't as as sour, so you need to add a little bit more. Or sometimes when using vinegar, that is milder than others. So you just always have to taste and taste. And sometimes a chili is just so hot, and then the other day the chili isn't as hot. So um, you can follow a recipe, but you always have to keep tasting to balance all of all your dipping sauces and all of your food, whatever you're making, whether it's fish sauce or soy sauce. Or if it's a stir fry, you know, everything has to be balanced. Um, really because I think uh, with Vietnamese food, the, um, it, it, it's all about the balance and it's all about the textures as well. Mm. So it's having the perfection of um, satisfying your taste
0: buds. Mm. Let's talk about that because that was your next point, isn't it? Which is it's important to tune the balance of textures, temperature, temperature. Freshness and and sourness from pickles, I guess let so let's move on to that, that yeah, point. so it's it's such a juggling
1: act Vietnamese food, yeah, it sounds complicated, but once you get going with it it's really really simple um so once you 've mastered your um five taste buds, then you know you have to think about textures um the you know the fluffiness of rice and noodles, they have to be just right if they're if the rice is too um mushy for instance then you've ruined all your texture for everything else and um uh like textures of vegetables or the crunch in pickles mm. um and the freshness in herbs and its crunch as well balances with the softness of your rice product like your noodles or your rice and then if you're having meat you know that um that is shouldn't be too soft and it shouldn't be too hard everything has to be cooked at the right um, moment just so that the just so that the the balance all plays together and in in a whole meal as well you have something that's hot so for instance your fish or your meat but then uh, and your rice but then you you would always have like try to have something cold like crispy salad or um a cold pickle and then the pickles are sour and slightly sweet, so they balance with uh, the umami and the saltiness in the meat things, mm. and then the rice is the things that, that hold it together in the middle. So it's it's very
0: um, it's, it's very like, a, like yeah a delicate fine yeah yeah, and you're making me incredibly hungry <laughs> as well because <laughs> it's an early lunchtime. Number four, you say in Vietnam, noodle soups are eaten. For breakfast, which i I think I knew in the back of my head, but I was quite surprised um tell tell us about that so it, is it mainly for breakfast or that's the the main breakfast dish
1: it's um noodle soups are mainly had for breakfast okay. you you can have it all throughout the day, but things like fur is eaten yeah. for breakfast, and it's one of the most favored and loved um breakfasts, so now they have you know twenty four hour fur. So you can have it all day round, all day long, um, and and as well like going back to balance of things is also the balance of um, yin and yang and uh, your inner well being and, and health. So um, it's thought that when you sleep, you know your body cools down a lot and you've rested, and everything should be calm. And so to wake up and have a um, sprightly, vibrant, hot, steaming soup wakes up your soul and your senses and and your heat you know to make your yang yin and um or yin yang (laughs) (laughs) um so the the breakfast like say if if we're talking about fur, you know the textures in the noodles are really slurpy and silky and then you have like the hot broth Um, that's contrasted with like some crunchy Thai basil and coriander. And then you have that squeeze of lime for the sour. So there's that sweet and sour Mm. taste throughout the broth and the whole meal. And then you get the textures of the meat or the tofu um, with it. And and the smell as well Mm. just makes you invigorated. And that's why it's had mainly for breakfast. And then in the evenings, after you've had your lunch and snacks and dinners and more snacks, and just before you go to bed, you can have a lighter um, broth and a lighter noodle soup to make you sleepy.
0: I love that. So you can get it to completely bookend your day. Yeah, round it (laughs) off. I love number five because... One of the things you say in your book, which is, is so charming, is the Vietnamese way of asking how are you is to say, have you eaten rice yet? Yeah. So rice <laughs> is so important. So your number five is it's not a meal unless there's rice. Everything else is considered a snack. I love that. Tell us about that. <laughs>
1: um, so the culture is so much about snacking and street food and eating just throughout the day. So snacking is just continuous and you know, a, a bowl of fur is usually like a, a small bowl. It's not, it's not like a massive American-sized one. Um, It's not even as big as a ramen bowl. It's just okay. a small bowl. So you keep snacking throughout the day. So it's not really something you know substantial. So you, when you sit down and eat rice with about three or four plates, say one fish and two or three vegetable side plates, that's considered a meal. Mm. And that's um, that's the type of meal that you would normally share with someone. So someone who lives with you, like your family or your colleagues. So at lunchtime, if you go to Vietnam and you go into a shop at lunchtime, you know, all the employees would sit down on the floor together and we'd eat rice together. Um, and that is... Um, so much of the culture is that it's just eating rice together. Um because rice makes you full up and it fills you up and it's um it's substantial and you eat it with all these delicious dishes.
0: Yeah.
1: Whereas having a meal on your own um is considered um lonely. So therefore it's not a meal. <laughs> Although you do it all you know all throughout the day by snacking. Yeah.
0: What, what kind of rice would you typically serve? Is, it, is there just one kind or is there a few different? Yeah, like, um,
1: you know, like jasmine rice mm. is the typical rice you get. Or there are some meals that lend really well to broken rice. Okay. So broken rice is the, um, like, as it says, like, just grains that are broken. Okay. So they're small. So the texture is kind of like couscous oh. and it's much lighter yeah. and it lends itself to some really nice dishes um, but otherwise uh you just have jasmine rice, or sometimes if it's a special occasion, you have sticky mm, rice.
0: Lovely. Um on your number six, you said snacking is a way of life, which you just <laughs> mentioned. Um <laughs> eat lightly so that you can carry on eating throughout the day. Tell us the types of snacks that you would have apart from fur and different. So you would have
1: um say sizzling crepes, they're like these um rice um sizzling pancakes and there's like prawns and bean sprouts inside and you wrap it up in loads of herbs and salads or there's summer rolls um there's uh things like um i don't know dumplings and banh mi so for breakfast as well or for lunch you can have a baguette filled with like all sorts of um textured deliciousness so for mm. instance if we're talking about a, a snack with a baguette it will be like um silky eggs with really crunchy uh carrot pickles and a crunchy and cooling cucumber with really refreshing coriander and the baguette has to be really soft like air and then the crust on the outside you can like hear it crisp as mm. you as you hold it together and and it crunches so, those are like perfect snacks
0: for me. And would they typically be picked up from a stall or something rather than you making those at home? Because I think there's a yeah. big sort of, like you've mentioned before, a really big street food culture. So, people are quite happy to go and pick up bits and pieces as yes. they do go through their if day. People,
1: people usually only make rice dishes at home yeah. and then everything else is eaten at, um, as a street, like a street snack.
0: And keeps everybody else in business, and yeah, also I guess exactly. the people who are making it are really good at that particular thing that they do.
1: Yeah, because they've they've done it all their lives, like they've done it for thirty years, and they make five hundred a day. <laughs> so they're just so good at it, and and they perfect it, and they keep the secrets. And um, you know that's how um famous dishes like fur has um come uh, become so well known and loved because a street. Uh, a street vendor made it um, yeah. somewhere in the north, and you know, uh, about a hundred years ago, from the from the French who left bones and oxtails and mm. things that you know they didn't want to eat. They had, so the Vietnamese had the, the Vietnamese street vendor had all the cuts so that he Amazing. probably invented the soup. Yeah. And, and yeah, and that's how it... it um
0: and look where it is uh, now, it's everywhere.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it and then, reason. you know, because that person does it really well, that city or village or town becomes known for that snack. So for instance, like there are these rice paper pizzas um, where they grill the rice paper and they put um, quail's eggs in it and spring onions and loads of toppings and it becomes yeah. like a crispy, like, Uh, rice paper pizza so that was made in in a a town and then now um everyone makes it because uh then people would make that journey especially just to have that snack yeah
0: fantastic I love that um (laughs) number seven you say food gifts are essential when visiting or if you have traveled tell us about the food gifts so
1: um whenever I go to
0: Vietnam my cousin's
1: like like we as if we haven't got enough to carry like all the time (laughs) they will have to buy when we go somewhere even if it's only oh gosh like half an hour away (laughs) to another part of town we have to get that summer roll, for instance yeah that that specialized there because I just mentioned how you know you you travel to a place and they specialize in this type of food so that has to be brought back to the parents or yeah. to their sisters and brothers and and all and when you go to someone's house you have to bring gifts and there's there's so much food symbolism in in um in gifts so you have to bring the right fruit say clementines for instance bring good luck so you you know you tend to get those a lot because of the color yeah. and um it's symbolism. So, um, yeah or whatever's in season you know when you visit you always have to bring whatever's in season fruit wise or if uh, you've made something at home or especially if you've traveled somewhere no matter how much luggage you've got you've got to bring back like certain amounts of of snacks to be enjoyed at home
0: so it's always a food-based gift yeah and is that All because by, almost it's, always yeah and, and that's because it's an expression of love I guess to to bring yeah. food
1: yeah, it's it's like have you eat you know how are you uh, have you eaten rice yet? It's the same thing. Food is so much about expressing your your love and your care for someone and your affection because the words are hardly ever spoken, you know. Um, so it's it's all about showing how much you love someone by giving them food and also by cooking them food mm-hmm. and eating with them.
0: simple um you, you mentioned previously about um you know the the person who invented for using something that had been left bones um you know and and one of your points, point eight was how um, the importance of frugal frugalness and how you know pot, not wasting anything is really really important too. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so it's um I think it's it's a it's a thing across. Asians where you just don't waste anything. And so many food dishes, like rice porridge, for instance, is um, you know, something that you you do because you've got you don't want to waste any of the rice that you've got left over because it wasn't eaten during that meal. So then the next morning you can use um some bones that you have and make a broth, put rice in it, just simmer it away, and it becomes a a lovely porridge in a Mm. soup. And it's really good for you when you're feeling poorly or and it's just like a lovely light snack. And when you, for instance, have a chicken, you can use it to the max. You can make three or four meals out of it. And when you have peels left from clementines, you dry them. You know, some people make a necklace out of it and dry them in the sun. Or here you can dry them on a radiator um, and then that could be used in broth or in stews just to give um that lovely zesty flavor yeah.
0: um
1: and zest you know lime zest You just you just whatever there is you just have to use it there's there's no waste because because everything has flavor it's only adding and building to your flavor profile and your textures and you know your juggling act of balancing everything yeah. um yeah so so much is because the uh the country and the history of it um it has uh is you know based on um a lot of poverty and famine that the culture is to to not waste anything because you don't know if you can get your next meal and um and also the the strong belief um that Buddha doesn't waste anything okay so
0: yeah so you're doing the right thing (laughs) yeah and and also like um
1: you know like my mom like all her life she's been like saving all the containers that we get from the supermarket just so that that isn't wasted all the you know carrier bags and things so she's like hoarding things because of the mentality of not wasting as well (laughs) but she's (laughs) doing just food
0: (laughs) yeah she's doing the right thing you know it's now it's become a like almost a trend, the kind of zero waste thing in restaurants now. It's, it's quite trendy, but you know, it's something that cultures across the world have been doing for years because it's it's essential to survive, basically. Your next point is about desserts, which I'm not super familiar with Vietnamese desserts, but you say they're both healthy and medicinal. tell Tell us about those um so as uh, as um
1: snack is is another way of snacking. Um, is to eat desserts as well. So there are loads of dessert carts um, everywhere in Vietnam as as much as there are dumplings and ones. Um, And uh, people have desserts like just throughout the day because it's just snacking, but a lot of the desserts are really healthy. So they're like, imagine a bubble tea, because everyone knows bubble tea. Uh, So it's similar to that. So it's like a brothy dessert, and it's called jere so it'll have like tapioca in it and then it'll have like seaweed and lotus seeds and um like grass jelly like really medicinal jellies that are made from herbs and um you know spices that are really healthy for you and these these desserts are like lovely and refreshing and sweet and they are considered to have like after like you eat your rice as well with lots of things or you're having a feast the dessert sort of balances out the heat that Mm -hmm. you have from your meal and make you feel quite refreshed they're really refreshing and um what's great about Vietnamese desserts as well because they're vegan is there's there's like no dairy involved um so it's uh Really, really nice as well to have, and um, and great to have when you've got a vegan or vegetarian friend come over, and you you know you can't make a cake or something.
0: <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about pandan because you use that a lot in your desserts, don't you? And that's a very particular flavour that I think I've seen it popping up on some menus here. But people for people who don't know about it, what, what kind of flavour do you get from it?
1: So pandan is a like a shrub, a, a grass. It's like long spears and the flavor is it's quite hard to explain so you have to sort of taste it but Mm. it's considered the vanilla of the far east and it's not but it doesn't taste vanillary but it's similar so Mm. it tastes like a coconutty nutty floral sort of green tea taste yeah that's similar to um Uh, Vanilla because it's got such a powerful but perfumed and lovely smell that's so enticing that it um people call it vanilla. So it's it's similar to that, except it's you know it's not. So it's more grassy and coconutty. Mm. And um you use it to infuse like coconut milk to give coconut milk another dimension and it's used in all of these soupy desserts that I've talked about. It's used to flavour cakes, it's used to even um, used to steam. So you Mm -hmm. can um, layer it in your steamer like banana leaf and it will steam your contents really nicely Mm -hmm. and it, it will perfume it really just it's
0: amazing i love i need to grow that. some yeah oh <laughs> can you can you grow it i'm not sure i'm gonna try <laughs> we can find out we can find out great i think that's a lovely um place to end on with those gorgeous sound and desserts um mm-hmm. thank you so much for coming to chat to us today um, you and it was welcome. great and if people want to keep in touch with with what you're doing um you know if you're doing supper clubs or any more books or you know your photography um is the best place to look at your website
1: yes my website which i hardly ever you know do any uh, <laughs> housekeeping on or i think the best one is my instagram oh yeah it's lovely yeah
0: yeah so it's lovely which is love and then l-e-l-w that's great thanks again for coming to chat to us today Yuma. thank you thank you for listening to the olive podcast for recipes and more information head to olivemagazine.com do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats hacks and shortcuts and don't forget to subscribe at itunes acast spotify or wherever you get your podcasts